Okay, it has been 10 weeks since I last did this. <laughs> I love it, I love it. It is so good to be back, y'all. I'm not gonna lie, about four weeks ago, I just started like desperately missing the well. And I was just like, man, I just really wanna be here. I was up there like, never would've made it, you know? There's like four people who got that, all right? But man, I'm excited to be back. Uh, welcome, if you are new, uh, my name is Tori and I get the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here uh, at The Well and uh, hopefully that that is encouraging, not discouraging news, all right? Uh, but for those of you who are new, my wife and I, we uh, got the privilege of taking a sabbatical this summer uh, and being able to kind of step away and recharge and reconnect and uh, just refocus on God and even on our family. and so. Uh, thank you so much for even kind of running the ship as we did that. The elders graciously gave us time away. If that you're new to church, the word sabbatical is uh, strange, or it's like, what is that? It's not just like a really long vacation. That's not what was happening. We did take some vacation within that, but really a time to focus on God and, uh, hey, what is God calling us as a family and um, us as a church to do and even just to me personally? And so today what I want to do is I actually want to cover some of the biggest things that I feel like God showed me over sabbatical before uh, just kind of highlighting some of the stuff that he did in a family sense and what that meant for us and then also for us as a church at well as well. Uh, we're going to be going through different truths throughout the fall even of the things that God did. So I'm not going to uh, relay everything that happened today, but I do want to hit on some of the biggest truths, some of the biggest things that happened. Cool? Yeah. All right. Y'all, it's so good. I'm about to like I ain't getting emotional yet, all right? That's for later in the sermon. Uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're gonna be in Isaiah 40, uh, so you can camp out there today. We won't move around from there. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, the ushers are coming forward. You can feel free to raise your hand, uh, and they will give you a Bible. If you don't own one, take keep that. That's our gift to you. Uh, we want you to have the word. Yes, walk out with that Bible. It's not stealing, okay? And if there's anything that it's okay to steal, it's a Bible, all right? <laughs> Joke, just kidding, okay? Uh, but you can also follow along on your phone if you want. Uh, there's all the link up there on the screen. This is the first time I've preached where we do not have the big screen, but the little screen. So apologies in advance if some of the text today is a little bit small. Uh, Y'all bear with me on that. But um, before diving in, I actually want to thank and acknowledge a few people uh, who kind of helped make the sabbatical possible and really blessed our family even in our absence. Uh, as we say often as a church, the church is not built on the talents of a few, but on the sacrifices of many. And many, many people sacrifice to be able to allow us that privilege of being able to go on a sabbatical. And so firstly, once again, I want to thank the elders, if they're in the room, and um, just for giving us this time and to continue to guide and steer the ship of the well while we were gone. Y'all, there are, uh, besides me, only three other elders, and there are 600 of us. And so to lead that is uh, difficult at times, but they do it with uh, grace and uh, just with generosity. They do it so well. So I'm really thankful for them. Also super thankful for my staff team as well. Uh, they really stepped up in a lot of really cool ways and got a lot, a lot of things done, right? Like we out here hiring people left and right. We're building structures and systems and uh, just really killing it. And so specifically, if he's still in the room, I want to thank Nick, and uh, who just really took on double duties in a lot of ways 
ways, not just with preaching more because I was gone, but helping run a lot of the back-end stuff as well. Um, so really, really thankful for him and super thankful for Stephanie as well, who uh, just really helped a lot. She always helps me in so many ways. And so super thankful for that. I feel like I'm like accepting an award right now, you know? <laughs> I just want to thank the big man upstairs. You know, he made us all possible, all right? But I do want to acknowledge people. Also, CGs, y'all outdid y'allself, fam. <laughs> For real. Uh, hey, if y'all don't know this, if you're not in a CG, uh, we had eight weeks of sabbatical, and each week uh, was kind of a different theme in that sabbatical. We would do different things, like some of them was travel, some of them was spiritual retreats, some of them was just time with family. And every single week, uh, the CGs would come, and they would leave these gifts at our door that was themed for that week that we were taking. And so it'd be like snacks if we're traveling, or like car games if we're driving to Michigan so I don't kill my kids, right? And like all these things things that were going on. And it was just really, really cool. All these letters within it. And so um, that was just awesome. Listen, my wife's love language is gifts. My love language is saving money and therefore not spending them on gifts. And so y'all really blessed my wife and helped me to bless my wife in that. And uh, more importantly, listen, this actually probably had dividends in ways that you wouldn't be able to see. Uh, for example, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Micaiah, uh, she was really, really touched by all the gifts and kept talking about how much she loves this church, how much she missed the church, how much she wanted to be back at the church. She would hold a gift and be like, oh, the church got this for us. And I mean, just to be real with you, being a pastor's daughter, she can often at times see the difficult things in church and the sin and the brokenness. So to be able to see just the joy of having a good family that cares for her, I really do believe that's going to pay off dividends for a long time. And so thank you for that in so many ways and uh, for Kendall for really running that charge and Huli really helping shape a lot of that. Y'all blessed us a ton. Uh, for the Montgomery's and the Grams leading RCG, all right, many, many people people to thank, but I'll do a lot of y'all in private. I'll save your rewards for heaven because I'm out here just acknowledging everyone, <laughs> taking all their gifts away from them, all right? So uh, we got to dive in or it's going to be a long sermon, okay? Uh, first of all, number one thing God did for me over the summer, which it won't come up in any other uh, sermon, so I just want to highlight it, is really gave me a deep, deep, deep affection and a love for my family, just getting to spend time around my girls, around my wife, and uh, just being able to step away a little bit just gave me so much of an affection for them. So thank you for that so much. It wasn't like I didn't love them before, right? I love them deeply, but it just really drove that much deeper as I got to spend so much time around them. So thank you for that. I think the overarching theme that God did, which will come out, it'll leak out in several different sermons, but I went into sabbatical hoping to get a bigger picture of God and who he is. And instead, I feel like God gave me a bigger picture of me and who I am, both the positive and the negative, like, like the sinful parts of me. And he was really actually revealing even who he is, even through me in a lot of ways. And so real talk, I feel more confident as a church about what God has called us to do more than I ever have before. I also feel more uh, uh, hesitant almost. I feel more sensitive, is it maybe a better word, of my sin in the ways that things could cripple all of this and wanting to find ways to kill that sin, that the glorification of Christ might be more and more evident in our lives. And so this is really encouraging, family, because you have no idea how much Satan often tries to attack uh, vision or calling of God in my life. And I am sure that Satan tries to attack God's voice in your life as well. 
And so being able to step away and to rehear God's voice and to hear him uh, say, yes, this is good. I have called you. Go into this was uh, really, really cool. And so I think that was the overarching theme is God just showing me, look at what I've done in you. Look what I've called you to. Hey, let's press in on this. And so more on that later, okay? But one of the biggest things, one of the things I want to focus on today uh, was actually just how to really kind of connect with God. And that's where I want to spend a lot of our time today because one of the most difficult things over the summer was actually just connecting with God and with who God is and what he's been doing on a consistent and a continual basis. Man, real talk, it was like hard to just kind of walk up in church sometimes and just start singing to God. And I was really being frustrated at that over the summer because I would open the word and I would read and I got more time to do that and did that more over the summer. But it felt kind of like God was almost distant in a way. And there were times where it was difficult and it was dry. And uh, at first I was really frustrated. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> this is sabbatical, right? Like I'm supposed to come back and be like, y'all, Jesus spoke to me. He wrote me a letter. I saw him in my dreams. I have vision for 27 years, right? And instead, it felt uh, dry at times. And so uh, as sabbatical went on, though, I think I began to grasp why that was and what he was doing even within that. And so my hope for us today is that as we are in those seasons, maybe you entered that season this morning, you don't feel God's presence as much, or we all know that in the future, man, there may be times where the word isn't just illuminated as much or our hearts aren't as ready to sing or the worship song that we cried over six weeks ago no longer moves us. Like, what do we do during those times? How do we connect with the Lord? And so Isaiah 40, I think, really uh, highlights this for us. And so we're actually going to begin in verse 27 because this is the theme of the chapter at large. And then we'll go back to the start so we know where we're going today. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, it says this, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? And so this is what the recipient of this chapter is feeling. They don't really feel God, like God doesn't see them, or like he doesn't care about them, like he isn't present or close, like they cannot connect with God. You ever felt that? Right? Like, like we in church, you could tell the truth, all right? Like, maybe you felt that 20 minutes ago when we were singing. Like, God wasn't present or close. Like, he didn't see you, per se. Maybe the situations in your life are swirling around, and you're saying, hey, God, where are you? What's going on in all of this? I felt like this often during my sabbatical. This is the backdrop of this whole chapter, is the people of Israel feeling like, God, are you there? Do you care? How do I get close to you? How do I connect with you? How am I able to be intimate? with this God who feels so distant at times. This is what the author is kind of feeling. And I think that Isaiah 40 answers how we overcome that in so many different beautiful ways. And so with that backdrop, let's go back to the start and we'll walk through it. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly, tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so the first thing for us to feel comforted by God is the fact that God is willing and ready to forgive us for our sins. In fact, every other reality that we're going to get to actually hangs on this reality. Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you felt that pardon by God? Like, look, in verse 1, it says, comfort, comfort. Whenever you see a word repeated, it's kind of like our version of bolding or underlining or italicizing. So it's trying to create emphasis. The emphasis is, I want these people to feel comfort. But how are they comforted? Well, they're comforted by realizing that they're iniquity has been pardoned. Their sin has been forgiven. Everything that they have done wrong and every single wrong that has been done to them has been wiped away. It is no longer there. In fact, God says that they will receive double for all their sins, not double punishment because their iniquity has been forgiven. It's actually double blessing. It's double reward. It's double of God. And this is important because uh, if we do not think that we carry a lot of sin, then what will happen is, is we will not think that God is as gracious as he actually is. But because our sin is many, and because our sin is weighty, and because our sin is aggressive, then when we realize a statement like this, that God will actually give double, even of all our sin, then it will make God look that much more glorious. That's why we're not afraid to talk about sin, because all it does is highlight the graciousness and the majesty of our God. And so this is what the backdrop is, that our sins do not outweigh the mercy and grace of God. Our sin does not uh, overcome. It is not stronger. In fact, God is able to take that sin, to pardon it, and then to give you double of himself, more blessing, more good than all of our sin. In fact, God is strong enough that he can take all of our sin in here, pile it all up, and his grace would be so much more sufficient than all of the sins that we have ever done. In fact, the sin of the whole world, because God is big and powerful and gracious. This is the backdrop of this. Isn't that good news? This is good news that God is ready to forgive us. And so before we know anything else about our God, this is the most important truth, that God can forgive. He is gracious and ready to do that. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in the sacrifice, the death of Christ, his blood spilled for you, if you accept him by faith and say, God, I want to follow you, then, man, you can be comforted more than you can ever imagine. Your soul will be at peace and at rest. And this is the backdrop of this. In fact, the Holy Spirit had the death of Christ in mind as he is encouraging Isaiah to write chapter 40 because verses 3 through 5 is a direct prophecy about Jesus' ministry. See, their sins weren't effectually atoned for yet here in Isaiah because Jesus had not died yet on the cross, but the the Holy Spirit knows that this is what's going to happen. And in verses 3 through 5, it is prophesying about this man named John the Baptist who would come before Jesus' ministry and pave the way for Christ to come. We don't have time to get into all the ways this fulfills that prophecy to dive into that today, but this quote was directly applied to John's ministry 
history. He paved the way for the pardoning of sin to happen. He paved the way for the Messiah. So the Holy Spirit knows that, man, this forgiveness of sin is going to come. We're going to make a way for that to happen. The Lord has spoken, and the Lord always fulfills the things that he speaks. All his promises are yes and amen. We just sang that. And this is true here. And this is the most important reality for us to know that God is not distant. It's the most important reality for us to see how close he is, that he cares for us. This backdrop is the most important reality for us to see how big God is. Everything else that we say today won't make a whole lot of sense unless this lands. And we need to remember this and to believe this. Though you feel him not, friend, he is never far away from you. If the death of Christ is real, which we believe it is, and we worship our God for that, then he is closer than your skin, friends. And you may not feel that all the time, but that reality is true because our sin should have separated us from God, but God loves you and he loves me and he sent us Jesus to forgive this. And when Jesus died, he forgave us of this sin. And this truth means that God will forever be close, even if we don't feel him right now. And even if it's hard to believe and to remember or to walk in, man, listen, God paid for that unbelief too. That every time you're struggling, God paid for that too, y'all. And so you don't need to feel this guilt coming in where it's like, yeah, I hear you, Tori, but I don't know if I believe that. That's really hard. Look, God already paid for that too. <laughs> That's how big and good God is. He loves you. He wants you close. And one day, very, very, very soon, friends, this reality will be more real than anything you ever experienced on earth. And he's suffering and he joy. Man, one day, the blood of Jesus that pardoned your sin, it will be real for all of eternity. <laughs> And we long for that day. So have you accepted this truth? Have you believed this truth? And if so, then you need to remind yourself of this truth because that right there is the biggest reality that God is for you and he loves you. If you realize the weightiness of your sin and the pardon of Christ, then you will realize how unbelievably loving and gracious, how much our God just affectionately cares for you. But this isn't the only way to remember or to understand or to believe that God is present. It's not the only way that we actually overcome the apathy of the heart. There's so many other ways that God has given us. It's not just in the message of the gospel. This is the main way we interact and engage with God. But there's a bunch of other ways too. So go down to verse 9. It says this. Right? Remember, comfort, comfort. How do we do this? How do we connect with God? How do we believe God is close? Well, it says this. Go on up to a mountain, right? I love that, right? The, the ESV says, get on up. Get you up. I love that. Get you up to the mountain. It's like, man, get you up out of here, okay? Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket from, or from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on a scales. 
Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. God doesn't just double our good over our sins, but look at this. How can we comfort, comfort our souls? Well, Isaiah is showing us one of the ways that we're comforted is actually by seeing and believing just how big and how huge our God is. Like, look at how big God is here in this, as Isaiah's laying this out for us, right? In verse 12, it says that he's over the waters and the heavens and the land. That's like every uh, element or, or, or realm in a sense. The, the waters and the land and the sky, God's over all of it. The waters for the Hebrews were actually a terrifying place because it was a, a place that appeared to be uncontrollable. Like you're out in the middle of the sea and you feel tossed and turned by the waves and it says, look, God is just so big, that doesn't even make any sense to him. He's so over this, there's nothing to fear. But God isn't just over it, he's measuring it with his hand, y'all. Okay, I'm going to need you to go back into your seven-year-old person for a second and begin to have an imagination again. All right, like think about it. If you filled up your bathtub, how many measures would it take for you to empty out that bathtub with your hands, right? Like a thousand, I don't know. If you got that guap like that, maybe 4,000, you got that real bathtub, right? <laughs> Whatever that might look like. Okay, now imagine like a medium-sized lake. In fact, maybe you close your eyes for a second and you think about some lakes you've been to. Maybe a lake that you can see the other side, the end from where you're standing, but you ain't trying to swim across it because you doubt you're going to make it. If you like me, you for real ain't going to make it because I'd be perpetuating all the stereotypes in the water, y'all, all right? <laughs> but you're out there, right? And you are, right, you're seeing it. It's this huge lake. And now imagine with me that something from the sky comes and he scoops up all that water and he's able to measure it with his hands. What happens to you? Faint. That's what happens, right? But it would be astounding. Okay, now whatever medium-sized lake you have in your mind, this is that God is able to measure all of the waters of the whole world with his hand. Like immediately it actually becomes uh, something that we can't even comprehend in our minds because of how big our God is. He looks at the sky or the universe and it says he measures it with the span of his hand. He's like, yeah, it's about that big right? The universe. This is how big our God is. Like, how big is our God? He uses this as an example. I love this analogy. He says that it's like a drop in a bucket. All the nations are before him, right? This isn't even a size bucket that they would think of. It's just when I went to Hobby Lobby, them buckets were expensive, y'all. <laughs> They'd be giving you them 40% coupons off, but then they mark up everything 40%, so it's expensive. So this is just the cheapest bucket I can find, all right? And look, it says that all of the nations are like that to our God. That's it. That's how big our God is, right? Every single nation that is there, it's all like this. Now, remember, the nations were at war against Israel. They were afraid of them because Israel was a small country, and all the nations are coming, and that's what all the nations are to our God. Like, like does this scare you at all? <laughs> Does, does this look powerful at all? Can y'all see this drop of water in the back, <laughs> right? This is what it looks like. If I ran up and act like I was gonna throw it, is that gonna scare you, <laughs> right? You might be like, hey, don't throw that bucket at me, dog, right? But 
no, this isn't scary, right? Not the United States and all of our nukes or whatever it may be or every single nation that is combined, all put together, they're like that to our God. How much power are all the nations compared to our God? Nothing. This is what it looks like. And you're afraid of the next election? Our God is powerful, y'all. There's nothing to be afraid of because God is big and he's in control and he sees you and he cares about you. This is what it looks like to him. He goes on and says, it's like dust on a scale. In fact, he took the mountains and weighed them on a scale and said, yeah, they're about that heavy, right? And then all the other nations, they're like dust. It doesn't even move the scales at all. And so see, uh, normally if we see how big God actually is, then what it would do is it would terrify us and we would feel like, how can I come to a God that's as big as that? But in reality, we We see the bigness of God and realize we get grace. We get his love. As big as his power is, so big is his love and his comfort and his kindness and goodness and gentleness for us. This is who our God is. This is what you get. He's massive. And yet, if you go back to verse 11, look at that. He's also an intimate God, it says. Not only is he this massive God, but he's a God that carries us in his arms. It says that he carries us in his bosom. That's his chest. That means that you are close to God. So as big as God is, he's also this unbelievably intimate God over everything but close to you. We're like nursing infants to him that we are being provided for and protected by our God. If you receive Jesus by faith and you cling to God, then this is what's true of you. You are not outside of the grasp of God. In fact, you are close to God. All the chaos of the world can't really impact you. I love what someone said when we were studying the passage this week in our staff time. Uh, They said that um, it was, uh, you know, when we look at, Uh, like rich people or powerful people uh, or wealthy people, when they go down to the destitute places or the places where there is poverty or a lot of uh, just brokenness, that it actually brings us a ton of comfort because it's kind of the idea that the highest people would come down and would kind of get in the dirt with us. And so as you see these celebrities go, uh, maybe visit this like AIDS-stricken village or you see them go and visit this third world country where there's all this brokenness, it it brings you a sense of comfort. Man, how much more with our God? That God is this powerful, as we just mentioned, and yet he would put on flesh and come down into the dirt with you and me. Our God is powerful, yet comes down to the brokenness because he longs to be intimate with you, friends. He longs to be close and to show you that he cares. He's there. He's not distant. He will come down for help. He hears your cry. He's big enough to be able to hear all of our cries at once, yet he's intimate enough to just focus on you individually at at that time. This is our glorious God. And often we don't feel like God is close. We don't connect with him because we don't have a big enough view of God. We either don't see his unbelievable power and we forget how massive our God actually is or we don't see his intimacy and his closeness and this uh, desire for him to be close to us, how he can hold the whole world in the palm of his hands and yet hold you in his chest at the exact same time. We forget that picture of God, y'all. 
Well, how are we going to worship when we don't believe that reality, when we forget that reality? And this is why we need to remind each other of this. This is why we need to think about this over and over and over again. We often don't connect with God or comfort or aren't comforted by God because we just don't think about God that much. We don't think about him in our day-to-day. And that's not guilt. That's what I was doing over sabbatical at times, right? We just, we forget and, and I forgot the privilege that, man, when I get to serve on a staff team, I'm interacting with God in all these ways all the time. But then when I went on sabbatical and I was just a daddy, right, and all I heard all day was, Dada, Dada, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And at some point, I just began to, like, shut that off, you know. I used to always be, like, come home, and they'd be like, Mama, Mama, Mama. And now they'd just be looking. I'd be like, Babe. <laughs> Like, listen to them. Now over sabbatical, it's like, dada, mama, dada, mama. We're just like, right? (laughs) It's hard to remember God at that moment. It's hard to engage with God at that moment. It's hard to reflect on the goodness of God and who he is. But that's why verse 9 says, behold, your God. It says, look, behold, highlight him, think about him, remember him. Hey, let's tell each other about God. Look, look to God. Behold, remember who he is. We get to do that for each other. That's why church is so important. The gathering together of the saints that we would remember the goodness of God. That's why uh, CGs are important or discipleship or sharing the gospel with other people that they would know the goodness of God. As we do that, we're reminded of the goodness of God we talk about him and think about him as we're driving to work and we think about God's provision that we have that nice car or maybe you got a hoopty, you still driving though, right? Or as we have a job and we realize that, man, we get to, to, to serve, to, to edify this world, that's a gift of God as we see our friends or as we even see the suffering that is preparing for us an eternal home as he sanctifies us, we can rejoice at all things, We can rejoice at God and who he is. God is bigger than your afflictions, friend. God is bigger than any pathetic idol that we put up in front of him. God is bigger than all of our sins combined, and he will give us double good for even all the weightiness of our sin. In fact, I love what uh, Psalm 65, verse 3 says. It'll be on the screen. You don't got to turn there if you don't want. But it just says really, really simply, when iniquities prevail, I love that, when they prevail against me, You atone for our transgressions. Or I love what the King James Version says. It says, iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Sometimes you just need a little bit of King James in your life. You know what I mean? (laughs) Thou shalt purge them away. Hallelujah. Bless our King. All right? And God continues to show us his goodness as we wrap up the chapter here and kind of wrap up a little bit of our time this morning. Look down in verse uh, 30. I'm sorry, verse 27 again, where we started. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. See, when we read sentences like that, do you read them or do you make God big? right? He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Look, even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? Of course they have. They're Israelites. They know this God. That's all they read and study about in, right? They know about uh, the Red Sea parting or about David and Goliath or about Abraham. And man, do we not know? Have we not heard? Of course we have. We've heard about the sacrifice of Christ. We've heard about the death, burial, and resurrection. It's just we often forget how good he actually is, and so did they. We're in similar camps, right? We forget about the majesty of God. We don't look at the billion pounds of evidence about God's goodness in front of us. We look at the one pound of our suffering, and we say, man, God, where are you at? Right? We look at the drop of bucket in the water rather than looking at the whole bucket and saying, oh, yeah, that's right, God's over this. And so we forget about God too. And so just as faith comes by hearing initially, so also faith is strengthened and nourished by hearing again and 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 again. We never graduate from the gospel. We only grow deeper into it, friends. And as we remind ourselves about the goodness of who our God is and the majesty of our God and the intimacy of our God, man, we need to hear that truth daily, like maybe second by second if possible, right? We need to remember who God is because we're so prone to forget the goodness of our God. It actually reminds me a lot of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, okay? Over the summer, that was one of the things I did was I read that with my oldest daughter, and it's just a, a, a little, it's actually a children's series, but it's awesome, okay? And there's seven books in there, and it was written by a guy named C.S. Lewis. He was an Oxford uh, professor, and um, it's just kind of highlighting the Christian life in a lot of ways. And Aslan is the lion in there, and Aslan represents Jesus. And I love it because Aslan is this powerful, he's a lion, right? And yet to those who believe in him, he's also intimate and close. He rules with peace and yet with power. And yet throughout the books, what you see are these Narnians kind of wavering between belief and following and between unbelief. Because what happens is, is over time, they begin to forget about all the powerful ways that Aslan has acted in the past. In fact, throughout the book series at large, though there's seven books, I would say Aslan probably only shows up about 14 times throughout the book. Maybe a little bit more because the second book, but all in all, he doesn't show up a whole lot. And so every time he does, though, oh my gosh, it's powerful. Like every time he shows up, y'all, I was up there like crying. Like, I mean, like, like ugly crying, you know what I mean? Not like, oh, that's beautiful, like, <laughs> right? Like that type of crying, okay? <laughs> Micaiah was like, yeah, cool, Aslan. I was like, no, you don't get it, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's a lion, he's, he's powerful and, and good, right? Go to your room before I thank you, right? <laughs> Jesus is a lot like Aslan. Just kidding if you don't know me, okay? Right? Man, look, he may show up in ways that are unimaginable, and maybe you've experienced Christ like that, Maybe you had some time in worship that was just transcendent, right? Maybe you've seen the word illuminate to you in ways that are unbelievable. Maybe uh, you have interacted with God at a camp or, or in community group, or maybe when you got saved, man, the lights just came on and you believed. And maybe there are these moments where you interact, but as you look at the course of the whole story of your seven books, you would realize, man, man, God just doesn't show up every single day like that. And so what happens is, is we can begin, like the Narnians, to kind of forget about Aslan, about Jesus. 
We forget about the goodness and all the ways that he's delivered us, but our uh, literal job as believers is to remember that because most of the time, he may not be tangibly present, friends, right? He may not be tangibly present, but if you look at all the evidence around you, you realize just how unbelievably good our God is. As you remember what he's done in the past, as you remember that moment that he interacted with you, as you see how he's moving in your friend's life, as you hear about salvations or watch baptisms or see churches planted or you begin to see the power of God, even as you sleep at night and wake up in the morning and you are breathing, that is God sustaining you. He is present. He's intimate. He's close. And we have to remember that. God may not show up like Aslan on every single moment of the scene because in reality, that would then not take any faith. And if we're honest, for a lot of us, we would then be chasing the experience rather than chasing Jesus. And Jesus wants us to chase him for him, not what he can give us. And so he asks us to act by faith. Now listen, the desire to have that experience is actually a good desire because one day, if you believe in him, that will be your eternity is experiencing that reality for all of eternity. That's a good desire. But right now it takes faith as we walk in this. And this is why I love verse 30. It says that everyone grows weak and weary at times. And so if right now you're feeling like, man, I just, I feel like I falter at this often. Look, it says everyone is weak and weary at times, right? If you walked in here today not really feeling connected with God, welcome. You are in the right place. I hope in a couple of minutes you'll connect even just a little bit more with him. We're all weak and weary. Shoot, I was like that like four times this week, right? But as we remember God and who he is, as we hear about him, we run strong. In fact, we don't just run strong, we begin to fly, it says, this is what it looks like to walk and to follow God. And so as we wrap up and conclude, what does that mean? How do we actually do that on an everyday basis? Well, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It's real, real, real simple truth. So, so that whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all for the glory of God. You can eat and drink. In other words, all things are meant to point us to and to glorify God. Y'all ever been to uh, Perry's uh, and get their pork chop? Y'all, yeah. I was up there worshiping this summer, like, hey. That was the first time I ever had it, all right? So we went to Perry's, and I was like, why does this pork chop taste like this, all right? <laughs> well, listen, at that moment, I can either decide to just eat the pork chop and be like, dag, I'm about to come in here at least once every two months and be like, oh, you need a counseling appointment. You want to meet Friday at 11 at Perry's, right? <laughs> it was just good. I can either do that and just think about the taste of it, or I can allow it to point me to the greater reality, which is what it's meant for. Listen, y'all, that pork chop would taste like cardboard in heaven. And that's what it's supposed to remind me of. Hey, as good as you think this is, Tori, one day you're going to go to heaven because of the death of Jesus. You're going to sit down at his table. You're going to get to feast with him. And y'all, the very first thing that we do in heaven is sit at a table and Jesus makes food for us. What do you think food in heaven that Jesus made tastes like? <laughs> Praise dance. That's what it tastes like, right? <laughs> like, this is what it's supposed to remind you of. So you can eat and drink for the glory of God. What is Paul saying? The way you remember this, the way you recharge your faith, the way that you don't grow weak or weary is you wait for the Lord. You look for the Lord that all things are pointing us to God. And we tell us ourselves and each other this truth over and over and over and over again. This is what's important, y'all. This is why we gather. This is why we think about these things. 
And look, all of this, we start and end the same. It all hangs on the beauty of Jesus Christ. That truth is reality because of what Jesus did. See, the God who's never weak or weary, it says, he actually became weak and weary. This all-powerful God came down and was crushed so that you and I who are weak and weary may now be strong forever in him. This God who does not faint, this God who is this massive and big God, he became tiny. In fact, he became dead. So that we who are tiny and dead may now rise up with Christ, be exalted, co-heirs with Jesus to reign and rule with him that one day that he may pick us up out of the dust, double the good for all of our sins and bring us home with him. That's the reality we get to live in. And so I pray that we would be a church that remembers that that tells each other that, that pushes this reality into our heads and hearts over and over and over and over again. Look, we're a gospel-centered people, y'all. We're a Christ-centered, gospel-oriented church, and we will always be that because I believe this is how we sustain for the long haul. I mean, listen, don't fret if you don't feel close to God, but just start to see how big, how intimate, how beautiful he is. And as we encourage each other in that all the more, we'll sustain until the day that your faith finally becomes reality. And when you look at him face to face, when there's no more sun, right, and you're basking in the presence of his glory, his glory is what warms your soul for all of eternity. Man, all of this suffering will be worth it. We will be there one day, y'all. And until we are, let's continue to push each other to believe that truth and bring others along in that truth. Amen. Hey, I love you guys so much. It's so good to be back. So good. Let's pray. Man, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Christ, that you carry us in your arms. You're close to us. You've given us all these ways to interact with you, the word or prayer or fellowship or worship or even as we're going to do in a moment, communion. So, Father, help us to magnify you this week. And when we feel the sun outside, we feel the warmth, let that remind us that one day we will be warmed by you, our light in heaven. When we see beauty, let let it remind us that one day we will see you face to face. When we eat good food, let us remind us that one day you're going to prepare that meal for us in heaven. When we fellowship with each other, let it remind us that one day we'll be fellowshipping forever and ever together. God, help us to eat and to drink and to work and to play and to sleep and to do all things for the glory of your name. Let us see you, God, and look for you and remember you in all things. God, I pray for those who do not know you like this, that today they would choose to follow you. That today they would say, I want this, God. I I believe this. I I don't know what's happening in my heart, but I want to believe. I pray that today they would walk in relationship with you. We thank you, Jesus, for calling us close. We pray these things in your very beautiful name.